Welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, Episode 41, Restorative Justice. Ending the Cycle of Addiction and Violence, with special guest Carlos Alvarez. Well, welcome back, everyone. And uh, this is uh, the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. We have a honored guest today, uh, Carlos Alvarez. And uh, he is somebody in the trenches on the front line that is dealing with uh, uh, this disease of addiction and uh, this journey of recovery that we're talking about all the time here. So welcome, Carlos. It's great to see you. By the way, if you haven't figured it out, I'm John Dupuy. Uh, this guy that looks like a really cool vampire is Douglas Prater. And uh, the handsome man with the white, uh, white hair is Dr. Bob Weathers. So Bob, you want to you take it from here? Yeah. yeah, I'm really happy to have you with us today, Carlos. Thank you for joining us. I want to introduce you and then just kind of dive in together. I'll set the tone, but I want to introduce you more personally. I've known Carlos for the better part of a decade now. We met together in a master's level uh, a series of courses that I was teaching at a local university in a forensic psychology program. And uh, I still remember the first day I met you, Carlos. You were a shining light then, and you've been over all these years since then. I learned so much from you, Carlos, and uh, 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 I felt so much inspiration. We've had a number of interactions, including in other uh, interviews, uh, uh, you're developing a new program, which I know you'll be talking about today, which I'm excited to read about. Let me just say a word about Carlos. Uh, his uh, background is in forensic psychology. He's currently, uh, that's at a master's level, he's currently in a doctoral program in counseling psychology. He's been the dean of a, a local charter school, been very involved. The, the piece that I know most about you, Carlos, is our interaction uh, in and around how to apply principles of restorative justice to populations that are most marginalized in our society. These are uh, formerly incarcerated uh, offenders, as well as currently uh, people in the community who are involved in gangs. And you've been dedicated to this work really your whole life, uh, owing to where you come from, Carlos. And it's just a total respect. I have the chills even introducing you. You know how deeply I feel about what you're doing. And so here's a man who's really trying to bring a redemptive uh, heart and soul to to a population that is really cast aside in our society. And uh, part of that population, uh, there's a lot of overlap between what we deal with here, which is around addiction and recovery. Uh, but you're working, working at it from what Ken Wilbur would talk about in the integral model, really focusing on the, the, the lower right-hand quadrant, which is how to uh, address societal issues uh, on, on, a global, on a global level. Uh, uh, as well as reaching each person individually. So you bring a unique uh, uh, specific content of what you do, Carlos, but you also bring a unique perspective in terms of so much of our work focuses more on the individual or the embeddedness of that individual with an immediate family. And you're looking at that embeddedness within a community and even within a culture. And so I'm really excited about, uh, I, I want to learn from you again today, my friend. So yeah, welcome aboard, Carlos. It's a real honor to have you here, sir. Thank you very much, Dr. Yeah. Weathers. Um, and it's, you know, like two chemicals, when they when they <laughs> merge, there's a reaction. I feel that the reaction we always have is special. 
and magical. And I always gain so much luminosity when we finish talking. Um, <laughs> I go back and I'm like, okay, we need to touch this. So I, I, I am grateful for you and uh-huh. I'm grateful to for this moment in time. Yes. Um, as you, as you can as as you mentioned earlier, my life has been around um, restorative um, practices. Not can say restorative justice, but in a way in how we help individuals restore in, in, in a smaller sequence, restore within, restore in a community, restore in a global setting, as, as you said. And we've used, um, I use the system of restorative practices, restorative circles as a means of integration. Um, when we're talking about restorative justice or restorative practice, we're talking more about reintegration the individual into a subculture, a setting or a community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, my, I, you know this, Carlos, and I think the other gentlemen do too. I grew up with a father who was involved in the so-called Department of Rehabilitation here in the state of California. Dad was a psychiatrist at, at various state prisons, Vacaville, Soledad, and so on. And, uh, and, and, I, and I, so I grew up with his reflections on this, is that what a misnomer rehabilitation is, as if that's happening in our system of incarcerating uh, offenders. And, and dad used to tell me this, and it's borne out, is that 80% of the people that fill our uh, state and federal prisons are there because of addiction-related offenses, yes. drug-related offenses. They're either addicted, selling addictive substances, or seeking addictive substances. And or so crimes under the influence that yeah, otherwise they wouldn't have done. All of the above. There's no there's very few people that commit violent crimes that aren't high when they do it. It's just it's against human nature. You got a small contingent that will, but most don't. You know all of this, Carlos, but I love to have you reflect on this when you talk about reintegrating people into a community when that's the opposite of what our so-called Department of Rehabilitation has done historically. Very interested in the innovative work you're doing including this latest development of you developing your, um, well, you can just, you can, uh, you can introduce the, even the title of it. Yes. So what my, um, we, me and the, in combination with other leaders um, around the work, we opened up um, the Los Angeles Institute for Restorative Practices, which is LARP. And it's an institute that is focused around training other leaders, mental health practitioners at school administrators on, 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 insightful ways and compassionate ways in dealing harm and, and repairing crises and trauma. So when we're talking about the five percenters, we'll talk about um, um, addiction or whatever. What we're really thinking about and we're really attaching the brain dopamine reward, right? Either I'm going to, you know, I could speak from firsthand experience. I was a gang member, very successful young gang member, and I was addicted to substances at a very young age. Um, everything started kind of diminishing because I was, supplying it with a different addiction, either addiction to jump higher in my gang or an addiction to be the toughest one. But there was always moments of reward and either the reward of dopamine. So what we do here, um, when, when, when I talk about restorative justice and predominantly a right brain approach where the institutional approaches to correcting behavior is very left brain, very much. You're violating the set of rules there's the set of interventions, one, two, three, oh, three. Well, we don't know what else to do with this human being. Let's lock them away. And that's really not how we help someone move ahead. We, I'm, I'm a big advocate of walking with the individual, right? Witnessing the individual through their pain. And we could always see, right? And, and just understand in the streets, me gangbanging, uh, my enemies, people who are rehabilitated and people who are addicted, the common denominator is pain. Yeah. We're dealing with, with pain. 
There is no, I'm going to do this drug because it's the fucking cool thing to do. No, that's not true. It's, it's, it's so understanding the pain and walking with the pain. Um, so the restorative approach that I use is very much rooted on um, banking on attachment figures. So what does this mean, right? So when we're walking with someone, um, developing that conversation, the, the vector of healing is a relationship. Yes. Number one, I, I, I could, I've learned so much from different leaders on approaches, theories. Oh, Carlos, you're not asking this right question. That's all crap. If you don't have a relationship, if the relationship is not present. And again, we could take it back to neuropsychology, neuroscience, when the brain is not calm and congruent, right? When the limbic is dominated, like you, there's, there's nothing, it's fear. I'm scared. But when there's a relationship, there's something happening beyond conscious awareness, right? That, that is moving this person to, okay, touching. When we get that, when we establish this relationship, that's when the template, the fertile ground is, is, is established of where we can begin to restore. Because with the individuals who mostly I work with, I work with two different types of populations. Mm-hmm. The students, right, who engage in your normal classroom misbehavior. And again, your individuals who are just, society has casted out as the worst. I'm 14 years old. I'm a, I want to be a gang member, Mr. Alvarez. Um, my mom's a prostitute. I don't know who my dad is. I know that my gang is my life. Yes, that is the individual I work with. And those individuals, their psychology is very different in, in thinking and, and painting the picture of healing and forgiveness is very, very foreign for them. And it's very scary. So building a relationship with them, painting the picture that it's okay to forgive. And in essence, when you build a relationship, you're in essence forgiving self because you're allowing the virtues of who you are to unfold. And when I start illuminating that, when I start identifying in the pre-conversations before something happens in this restorative deal, we build this relationship. And in this relationship, we could begin to talk about the harm that was, that was created, that was rendered. When we start identifying the harm, right? Because if you think about it, um, when you think about restorative practices, you think about the individual as the smaller the individual, right? And you think about the family, right? Mm-hmm. And then you think about society. In restorative practices is how do we merge all this? How do we bring in the individual? How do we do the internal work here? How do we deal with the shame? Mm-hmm. How do we deal with the anger? How do we deal with projection? How do we deal with all that, right? Be co- um, accompanied with negative coping skills. Then we have the five percenter. Impoverished community, gangs. Then we have a different individual. How do we begin to talk, right? We begin to talk to the family members. There's a lot of harm that this individual has needs to repair in order to start understanding what's happening with self. Or has so, been done to him also within the family system. What was that? Or has been done to him within the family system. Yes. Vice versa. So the shame work, the pre-conversation, in order to begin to get this individual, okay, let's have a restorative conversation or a restorative conference, there needs to there needs there needs to be repair there. There needs to be the repair with self or repair with others, or even painting that picture. The the conversation when you bring everyone together, that's a smaller picture of the big picture of forgiveness. Carlos, let, let me interject here. I'm totally God. I just love what you're saying, and I'm feeling so much admiration for the work you're doing. But I, w- I was a wilderness guide for many years. Okay, and I would take young people 
out into the wilderness for, you know, six, eight, 12 week journeys. And um, I work with, you know, rich kids from, you know, parents who could pay for it. I also work with uh, kids who are coming out of gangs and all different kinds of stuff. And, and one of the, the kind of the, one of the lights that we, that, that led us was William Glasser's work, a reality mm-hmm. therapy. And I'm sure you're aware of that. And basically said, no matter what kind of therapy you're doing, it's the connection and the love between the therapist and the client that is established that allows whatever to happen to actually happen. And I hear that's what you're saying. And I know in my years as a, as a, um, a, a wilderness guide, I would get a new group of students and it's like the first week would just suck. I'd be all stressed out. But pretty soon they began to figure out, hey, this guy's, you know, he grabbed my pack and helped me climb that cliff, you know, and he was here to show me how to light a fire and feed. This guy really fucking cares about me. You know, and I don't know yes. everything else he's saying, but he cares about me. And once we hit that phase, you know, then it became like, I can't believe I'm here with some of my best friends. We're on this, you know, this journey together. But it was that establishing uh, the care. And these are really wounded kids, you know, whatever yes. socioeconomic level they're coming from. And they don't just need another asshole in their lives, you know, and uh, I don't know. How do you, how do you, I know how I kind of did it, but how do you, you do it in your work? How do you keep that connection? So, so the main thing that was, um, we take a lot of wilderness um, um, camping trips. We call them bait in the beginning. Um, we had, you know, I mean, working with schools, we want to just reward the best behavior and let's the, the kids with the best behavior. Let's take them to the best trips. Right. I'm like, no, what's happening to our five percenters. Right. So the best thing and the cheapest thing is camping trips. And that's where we began. And, you know, understanding the child, right, in Winnicott, understanding the, the adolescent psyche, right, impulsive, risk-taking. Who am I to interfere in that process? I'm there just to contain. So there was, you know, a profanity, right, profanity fest, whoever you are, right? Um, I would build relationships and not care. But how do I do this in a matter of three days when I say there's a situation that happens, right? I meet this guy. How do I build a relationship right away? So my work went into Alan Shore's work. Alan Shore's work on the modern attachment theory. I'm like, something's happening. I'm triggering some sort of attachment here with this kid. What, what the hell is this? So I took it back. What am I doing? So every interaction I would have with the child, I would write. I would mo- monitor tempo of movement. I would monitor my voice. Okay, that worked. That didn't work. So then I started under, um, you know, I, I read this book, Affect Dysregulation by um, Alan Shoresberg. I'm like, holy shit, this is where it's at. I'm tapping into internal working models of attachment. So three things that, that really helped me move towards healing where, okay, Mr. Alvarez, I'm, I understand something happened. How can I repair? I understand that I belong to a bigger cosm. How can I begin to repair? How do, okay, I trust you. So it's again, being in there with like a Rogerian approach, unconditional warmth and regard, being there non-judgmental, and going in there with no agenda, walking with the, with the person. Again, when I work with five, five percenters, there's other sensors that are very activated, the micro expressions. I need to know what's going on in your face for me to beat you. It's a chess game. So micro expressions need to be regulated, calm. Mirroring affect is very important. Takes you far. It's more than I'm going to say this and that's mirroring affect. It's animal to animal at that point. Mm-hmm. So it's your mirroring affect tempo of movement, how you're moving through the conversation. Are you being, are you being human about it? Or are you being templated? Are you trying to answer these questions mm-hmm. and auditory prosodic is how are you moving the tone when the shit gets high? Do you get high? Oh man. Or do you get low in order to foster that warmth? 
Remember, these youth haven't been, a lot of the kids that I work with, they haven't exfoliated emotion. They don't know what this, this shit is. I know what anger is. I know what happiness is. And the other feelings are gay. Uh, no, ho- <laughs> no homo, miss. This is what, you know I mean? I, I'm like, I- I'm really glad you're here. I love you being here, son. Um, have a wonderful day. Oh, Ms. Travers, I was kind of homo, right? <laughs> Versus, you know, but, but it's okay. It's okay. Like, son, let's, 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 let's change language, right? Let's, 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 what does that mean? I don't know. You made me feel weird, dude. Like another guy making me feel weird. But see, this is the mindset that continues for these younger adolescents and this untamed mind. And it just, you know what I mean? Emotionless we become. So that's how I, I garner the, the relationship. Sometimes when the child is more sophisticated, there's malingering there. You know, I have to use different approach, a gestaltian approach where I'm cutting out the bullshit straight out and I'm letting them know what's up. And there's points where... It's like a wave, if that makes sense, hmm. when you're talking to someone. And we're going like in psychotherapy, right, Dr. Weather? Maybe you could resonate with this. <laughs> when you're in that emotion and you're like, holy shit, where am I going? And it's just riding the wave of anger. You're not, you, there is no ego there. There is no ego with you. Because if there become, there's an ego, oh, like, oh, no, you're the client. You're the patient. I'm supposed to know more than you. No, sometimes I, I don't know where this is going to take me. And I'm, but I, I, I could tell you one thing. I'm here with you and I'm centering Mm-hmm. And that's where the main vector of my success has, mm-hmm. has been. And um, I just became, my, I was a dean. I became the director of, the, of student discipline and restorative practice for our, for our charter organization now. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I mean, I walk the walk and I speak. This is basically what has helped me with moving ahead, take our school from a 22% to a 2% suspension rate. It's the relationship. There's nothing else that matters. And you being in that relationship with no ego and you not assuming that um, they think like you because you're an adult. You're, an, you're a very complete individual with a lot of experiences. So, again, it's just checking yourself. Mm-hmm. Carlos, who are the five percenters? Say, say, I love that term of yours. And, and I, say, say a little bit more about that. So, so the five percenter. I know like someone probably coming in here saying, what the, what the fuck does that guy have to say about five percenters with the Depeche Mode shirt spirit talking about all this, right? <laughs> My wife got me into Depeche Mode, I swear. You know, she's, like, she's an avid, like, Morsi, I'm all about it. So, um, Carlos, it's okay, man. You know, I know, it's okay. I, I, I needed to wrap it. I said, hey, babe, is this okay? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> so... What we call the five percenter, um, and I don't even like to describe them. I'm just the very marginalized herd group of, of, of youth who we have out here. The five percenters is usually the five percent of a gang, okay, of a gang. And this five percent is usually the um, versus their counterparts stay in the gang about with research state seven years versus the other counterparts would would drop off the gang, not die, but discontinue gang association and activity within two years. Okay. These five percenters continue the work and they're basically the ones putting the neighborhood on the map, engaging in the retaliatory shootings, um, turf wars, um, in, um, um, going into recidivism, very active in recidivism. So the ones who are really, really engaging and who I could say have the poorest of a poorest attachment because they needed a lot harder. And these are the five percenters who usually get into the heavier addictions of heroin, methamphetamine, um, the more heavier 
type of drugs and addiction. And of course, we could always start seeing detachment figures there. Why, 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 why the attraction to the heavier drugs like a heroin and methamphetamine? I, I have a sense of it, but I'd just love to have you comment. Why I, the five percenters? You know, I always used to say that, you know what I mean? Like, dude, what's up? Why didn't you use weed? You know what I mean? Like, shit. Yep. He's like, Carlos, I fucking carry a 45. I'll shoot anyone on site. You think weed is going to give me the same high as, as when I'm wired up, dog? Yep. Right? Yep. The harder behavior, the harder you are. The harder behavior transcends in, in everything you do in life. <laughs> it, it depends how this person, how he fights, right? Will dictate. Even my buddies, when we got courted into the gang, the guy that was the most quickest to fight was the one that was the fastest to get the gun, was the one that was fastest to put the neighborhood up there, was the one that fastest to get hooked up on something. Yep. So it's, yeah. there's some science to be done in there, right? There's still some little bit of research, but I could, it's mirroring emotion, I feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you feel that those five percenters are that way because of the just absolute, almost lack of any kind of human attachment uh, in lives? Um, there's a myriad of, of contributing factors, but, but of course, relationship and the poor attachment has to be pre- the most um, prevalent. And I want to say the most important, and yes, um, because when we have a, a secure attachment, what helped me get out of the neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? What helped me leave my addiction? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was my father's first son, in essence. I was enamored with love. Um, any cry, any distress, my dad was responsive. My mother was responsive. And that understanding now with Dr. Gabor Mate's work, uh, Mati's work in regards to risk taking and father attachment, that really helped me take risk. However, contain my risk, knowing that I had, you know, when I would go do stupid things with the neighborhood, I always knew that that wasn't something I was supposed to do. And that was my dad behind me. And I would say, fuck, get away from me. But I always knew he was there and I would feel shame coming back, back home. I'm like, shit, I just did all this shit. I'm wired and. My dad's here. I always had that. And that really helped me persevere through my addiction of crime, my addiction of just maladaptive fame and addiction of drugs. Um, that was the vector. My mother engaging in a right brain to right brain relationship with me more. You know, she was forgiving. Um, she apologized for what she's done. Um, and I don't know what she has done. She's done a lot of stuff through the, through the course of being an adolescent. Sometimes you hold so many regrets. But her saying that she's there and that she knows that my pain is real was remarkable. It just made me stop everything. It was just crazy shit. Wow. Say, some, say a little bit more about right brain to right brain. I know you've been really actually discussing it, but those terms may not be familiar to our audience. Right brain to yeah. right brain. What is that? So right brain to right brain connection, that means when, and when you could even um, correlate it to Wilbur's um, four quadrants, right? When you're in the upper left quadrant, you're talking about lower right quadrant, you're not making sense, there's conflict. How do we begin to get in the same quadrant, emotion to emotion? How am I just being there, walking with you? Right brain to right brain means emotion to emotion Mm. versus the intrusive, punitive ways of dealing with um, behavior, very much rule setting, expectations, and one, two, three rules, like the first, second strike, you're done type of deal. Um, Right brain is you understanding that you could tap in to those working models of a human 
and you can establish that relationship. And, and when we engage in a right brain to right brain conversation, what comes out becomes fluid to both of us versus conflict. I don't understand that. I don't, I don't agree with that. It becomes more understanding where this person's coming from. Mm-hmm. Well, let, me, let me throw something in here. Uh, I heard a lecture years ago, and we're talking about sociopaths. And I think you're probably five percenter, you know. What do you, yeah. what do you, I mean, in your case, you, yeah, you, got, you went the wrong way, but you had this foundation yeah. of parents, of a, a father who taught you moral and doing the right mm-hmm. thing, and, 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 and a mother that let you know that you were loved in the universe, and there was that there, you know. And so you had that. A voice of conscience, even when you're, you know, running off and, and doing your stuff, you knew some part of you knew that that it was wrong. And I can totally relate to that. But you get these kids that like the five percent that never had that. And this particular like the gentleman said, he said, it's kind of like the uh, what was that movie with Richard Gere, uh, Officer and a Gentleman. OK, if you remember the movie, he goes in, he's a complete sociopath. He's a five percenter, man. He is screwing everybody. He's really slick. He's getting his way. He's manipulating the system. And finally, he comes uh, he, he bounces into this drill sergeant played by that brilliant black actor, Lou Gossett, who won an Oscar uh, for best supporting yeah. actor for that role. And he just bam, bam, and they hammer it and he breaks him down and breaks him down and gets him back almost to that, that infant. And he just, he just, he says, you're out of here. You're out of here. And he just cries out and goes, no, I have no other place to go. And at that point, there's a breaking, there's a shifting and he connects with Lou Gossett, you know, and mm. at that point, a human being emerges. It's a really yes. beautiful film. And I'm wondering if you, if that, if that seems right to you when you're talking about with your five percenters. See, um, Heinz Kohut um, talked about um, impoverished psychic organization when um, severe neglect is present. Um, and I'm talking about severe neglect, physical abuse, when the parent is 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 um, dealing in a in a very poor way of of, of dealing with that child's anxiety, um, and when that begins to happen, this severe neglect and physical abuse, I want to say, right? Because there's different types of abuses and traumas, right? Um, for me, in my experience, I have seen the the hardest ones. Um, my friends who are right now doing life in prison were the ones who shared with me that how my mom used to burn shit on me, how my mom used to beat me when I was one. And my other friends were, my mom doesn't know shit. You know what I mean? My mom's an you know, immigrant mom coming from, you know, like my mother. She knows how to catch the bus, really. I, I'm savvy with her. I could convince her otherwise. So you had your two type of attachments, right? Um, and your two type of neglect. So with your, it, it, it depends. Yes, um, there's... Severity-wise, depending on attachment, depending on, on experiences, but there is this kernel of goodness in everyone, right? We're moving to, there is plasticity in the brain. That means, yeah, you had a poor attachment, oh my God, okay, whatever, but there is something called earned attachments, right? And there is what Alan Shore states is that there is still plasticity in the brain and we're moving away from the brain is resilient to the brain is malleable. and. I feel the experiences, but see that that sergeant needs to be responsible and as a restorative practitioner needs to be in tuned in how to contain and move this child ahead. You yeah. can't just leave him, right? right? Because then that's where in more internalized shame comes in. Yeah, he took me there, but that's bullshit. You see, that's another person who, who did me wrong. You know, and, and, and that I'm, becomes harder. I'm thinking with these five percenters, it's like 
because, you know, the ones that were tortured, you know, by their parents or, or the stuff, the, the vacuousness there and the pain is so immense yes. that doing meth and killing somebody or whatever, beating somebody up or every that just takes you away yeah. from that internal nothingness. And yes. under the nothingness, there's nothing but terror and pain. And so you do this stuff in order that you never have to look in there again. And so you yes. keep out there and you have power and control and you kill and ah, because that's what was given to you. And you got to break that down. You got to break through that and you got to yes. go back to that cavern. And, and, and as you're saying, you're using, you know, the, the wonderful science we're learning about the brain that there is hope. And of course, yes. you've, you've been doing this stuff, man. You've been there in the, in, and working with it's amazing. And, and, you know, you just said it when you're like, oh, fuck, I shot that person. Oh. At the end of the day, we're human beings. We're all interconnected. We never I don't care who you are. You still feel you even heard the psycho psychotic individuals in prison talking about I felt him. I saw him die. And you see that there is this shift in body movement. Something happens. That's when you as a restorative practitioner. It was okay, man. I understand that happened, but that's not supposed to freak you out. That's a process and that's the sequela of the shit you have been enduring. And once there's acceptance there, you're not seeing me as this heinous animal. That's when work starts becoming. That's when it starts becoming okay. I don't need a fucking kill to forget how I was abused. Shit. Life sucks for me. And that's what I explain. I'm, you know, when I'm talking to people, they're like, Carlos, you're excusing the behavior. No, I'm explaining conduct. That you know, I mean, you, what else is it to do, right? We can't this, we can't qualify someone. We're in this age where we're too smart now to say this should just happen. We have to explain conduct, and we have to be responsible to understand what the explanation is going to say. If not, then we're becoming leaders, or we're, we have there's leaders out there who totally discredit the experience and the explanation and just the causation. This is what's happening right now, and we need to address it in a left brain approach. So. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of stuff happening, man. That we how do you really how do you train this? Uh, 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 you know, implied in what you're saying, Carlos, is a yeah. radical shift for our, our all of us in our culture. How do you train? How do you model this kind of sensitivity that you're describing? And and you know, this is very is it's it's how can I explain it? You know, and um, I think my presence has a lot to do with it. Yes, I'm sure um, it does. I'm a, I'm a competitive bodybuilder. I, I won a couple of championships. I, I became sponsored by a, in, in, you know, by DJ Brawler a few years. I got something, you know I mean? It, I'm not sponsored now, but I had luck, not like a lot of people. Um, I, I became very successful in the, in the whole motivational world, talking to people. Um, and I'm a, I'm a powerhouse, man, when, it mean, when, when I'm talking about at-risk youth. How do I begin to influence this concrete data and concrete evidence? Because again, you have to think about, look at me. You know what I mean? Um, we're in the society where people judge. Mm-hmm. Was this 30 year old punk? Yeah, he's a gangster, whatever. Okay. Woohoo. We have a lot of fools that come out and talk and are just speaking, but are not giving anything relevant and concrete. Mm-hmm. My main thing is we, how do I start influencing is concrete data talking about the, the inner works of how the brain is operating when conflict is present, changing the dialogue about adolescent behavior, changing the conversation, taking conversations where they haven't gone before, challenging administrators, walking with administrators, talking to them, dealing with their shame, dealing with their ego. Again, for you to forgive someone, for me to be this restorative practitioner, I need to be cool with my issues because then 
these every individual who comes into my office, I, I'm God. Yes, no, I don't care versus what's happening here, human to human. And that's where a lot of my work happens. Um, a lot of trainings around right brain development. What is right brain? What is emotion to emotion? You'd be surprised. A lot of schools, um, a lot of my business has come from, you know, consulting with different schools. They lack this right brain to right brain dialogue and conversation and spirit. Um, so I do a lot of trainings, certifications. I certify people on restorative conferences where you could have formal conferences versus um, referring them to the juvenile justice system or criminal justice system. Um, so I do that. I certify others so they could go ahead and, and engage in their own um, in their own practices and coach them on their practice. Yeah. Uh, a question, you know, you're a competitive a bodybuilder, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, integral recovery is all about uh, exercise for one thing. <sighs> so how do you, how do you take that kind of discipline that it takes, you know, that focus to get in the gym and push your body to this level, transform your body. How, how can, how do you instill that in these young people who work, maybe those five percenters to take that kind of just, just focus and, and power and energy and will to blast themselves out from where they are and start constructing a, a real life and a real body and a real soul and a mind. I, yeah. I, I, like I, I talked to a lot of my kids is how do we build a finite focus? And, um, everything I've done, I think I've been fortunate enough to, to begin my conversation with God at a young age. And I knew that I needed to write things and I knew I needed to understand things like, holy shit, how is this Mexican boy that has immigrant parents become a champion bodybuilder and kick all these people's asses and shit? Like, how is this happening? Right? <laughs> so I'll write everything. I'm like, I used to have a lot of anxiety. Okay. I don't have anxiety anymore. How did that happen? So I started doing work around Peter Levine's work. I started researching. No one would talk with, I would do my own research and shit. Like, what is this Vegas nerve shit? What, what do you mean that I'm regulating? What do you mean that, what do you mean that I need to be, that I have sensory and body trauma? And my dad did beat me up, you know, growing up as a kid. And he, my dad was a bodybuilder also. So his beatings were a little bit heavier. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of regret. And, and, but I began to process my traumas through my weightlifting, if that makes sense. So, I would go to the gym and I would say, I would listen to a lot of motivational stuff, anything that would get me up and build the hero in me and become my own advocate. So I would listen to a lot of Miles Monroe and who the hell is he? I don't know. I just put attitudes and he took me to a different place of consciousness. And I was like, okay, wow. Okay. I could, I could get there, you know? And again, just breathing, breathing was the vector of a lot of my, just being in the moment, not knowing that, I could tap in and I could create a new, a new, a new reality. Um, and through that, just being, being consistent for every day, forgiving myself, waking up in the morning. I was very overweight when I started, of course, I, I stopped methamphetamine. I ballooned up and I was overweight and I would say, this is not who I want to be. Um, and I would say, but yes, we're working on something. I'm sorry that we're like this, but we're getting somewhere. And I started building this relationship with self. What do I do now? Um, of course, we have to be appealing and sexy to the adolescent brain. So <laughs> I talk about, I, I introduce vanity. Who doesn't want to look good, right? As a youth, I, I hook them that way. Like, oh, I hook you. Like, hey, man, Mr. Alvarez, you look cool sometimes. Like, holy shit, let me hook you. I'll hook you here. That's your interest. 
okay? Because I'm targeting, I'm going at the brain. I'm not talking at what people might think. I'm, I'm hitting the brain. So I'll get you in here. And then they're like, how do you get the energy, Mr. Alvarez, to do it every day? Then we start talking. I change the conversation about um, bullshit. I don't talk about nothing else, but how do you become good with yourself? Well, I start being mindful. Oh, well, what, what's mindfulness? Well, I start breathing every morning. I wake up every morning and it might be two minutes or one minute, but I set an intention and I just do four breaths. And I have students do that. And I'll, I'll have little notepads where I'll have them. We have a gym through the labors of our hard work um, in our high school. Our high school is amazing. Um, and they believe in this. Um, they're like, hey, how can we make it happen? We don't have that much money, but like, let's make it happen. So we were able to every year tap into something. And now we have a full-blown little gym where our youth work out every day. Uh, our, it's all full of our disciplinary kids, our behavior issues we had. Um, during this time, we ha- we've had uh, 142 referrals. Right now, we have 27 referrals. What are we doing? We're just engaging human behavior. We're just being human with things. You know, he's upset. Okay, well, like, don't let that upset get stay in your body. Don't go move. Go get it out. Push it. Push it out. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how we're replacing interventions. You know, we have our, our very, very at-risk, dysregulated youth. Let's walk and talk. Our counselors walk and talk. Let's move the body. Let's engage other senses. So, that's right. Of course, and just being more mature and getting hooked up with the correct woman. And, you know what I mean? But again, it starts with self. Yeah, I worked in the uh, <laughs> juvenile detention uh, center in uh, San Jose. And I used to do a lot of my, my sessions shooting baskets with the students, you know. Because it takes, it, you know, it, it's weird. It, it's not weird. I, I, I'm starting to get that word, but it becomes unfamiliar to them when you're sitting down and I'm talking to you like this. Because What's nothing. Yeah, that, that's hard. Right. That's not done with a lot. Like, that's not how it's done. Um, let's 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 make sure that we're, again, titrating the conversation, because, again, the waves of emotion, if you come at him and let's talk about your problems right here. It's this wave of of emotion, shame, my eye contact. I don't want to do that shit. Mm-mm. Let's let's play and talk. Let me see how you are. Let me get those. And you'll start. You start understanding what's happening. The child looking at you very differently, like, okay, let me see if he's reacting. And again, garnering safety, little by little, you can impose your safety on the child. Hey, Doug, I want to, I want to give, um, you know, space for you. Uh, you've been rather uh, quiet. Anything you want to, to jump in or ask or comment on? I'm just learning so much from this. This is such, such an important <laughs> conversation too, to have. Um, Thank you very much. Especially appreciate your focus on, on helping people in the youth that's become more and more important to me as I've started to examine my own path and the ways that I think I can make a difference. So I really appreciate the the depth of your work here. I especially, Carlos, love your idea of starting with a mindful breath very first thing every single morning. And I'm not talking even necessarily about a formal sitting meditation practice where you're doing a half hour, even though that's great. I just love this idea of very first thing before you roll up. Most people check their cell phones or whatever the case may be. First, first, just take a couple of breaths. I think we should all start a thing, you know, a Twitter hashtag morning 10 and just convince the world to take 10 mindful breaths before they get out of bed. Right. Brilliant. I love it. And, and you, if you're thinking about like um, how we start our day and when we open our eyes, um, we immediately start, let's start the day. 
And again, not acknowledging spirit, not acknowledging time, not being there. And when you're there and you're waking up, how are you waking up? And how are you present? How are you? How are you equipping your mind to tackle that day? And how are you equipping your mind to be this recovery um, specialist, this therapist, this psychologist, this practitioner? How are you just driving into the day, or are you really being in the moment? And again. And this has been something that my wife drives into me. She's like, <laughs> Carlos, shut up. You haven't even had your conversation with God in the morning. How can you start saying that you're going to help others? That's true. That's true. <laughs> she called me out and I called myself out. So I'm like, how am I not going? How am I going to be the 100? How am I going to be the best me? And it starts with self, engaging in prana breathing. And it's very simple. And, and this is something where people who are scared of meditation because meditation can be very, very scary when you close your eyes. And, and if there's been sexual trauma, a lot of people can close those eyes, you know, and there's cop, there's a lot of stuff that happens. And, you know, it, it, when I introduce meditation, they're like, I don't want to do that, Carlos. I, I kind of tried it. It's too hard. Well, let's try breathing. And then we'll talk about CNS, the central nervous system. And we'll, we'll go on a different level, which is, which is true. Correct. So yeah. just breathing. Right, breathing in and out, being in the moment, drinking alkaline water, you would see the benefits that that does. Um, because the body, again, when it's acidic, when it's depressed, when it's in this one, two, three mindset, stress overfloods the body. Then what do we need? We need something to make us feel better. I need a beer. I need a steak. I need a junk food. I need this shit. I need that. So it's how are we grounding and building that conversation in the beginning, in the morning with witness, and we move through the day. Yeah. And, and that's how, uh, yeah, how do you take care of yourself, you know, because it's a very, very hard field uh, that you're in. And, and, yeah. and I was in for, for, and I, in the beginning, I wasn't very good at taking care of myself. You know, I would just give and give and give, and I, then I would crash and burn. And it sounds like, you know, you, you mentioned you had a conversation with God since you were a little kid. And uh, I love that. Me too. Yeah, I gave it. Uh, I, I could really relate really to that. But is, is that how you keep tapping in? I mean, you keep your physical exercise and you keep your spiritual practice and prayer and meditation up? Yes, I um, I, I have dogs and I love dogs. I, you know, I mean, I tap into their happiness and I'm, you know, joy and, and just being in the moment and not not over um, not making this too difficult. You know, sometimes we get out of I amness and get out of who we are and, you know, just just think about and just being in there. I'm not not being too hard with self, not being too hard with yourself. I do a lot of that. And whenever I can't work out the three days a week, I, I'm not hard with myself. Right. It's what do I do after that? Why, how do I encompass that? I walk. I sit down. I see the beauty of a, of a leaf. Wow. You know, how did this leaf grow? How did it become just focusing on what's happening? Um is how I do a lot of my work. And of course, I think the biggest one is giving, is um, how I help others um, in this hum uh, humility, right? Is a big one too, that really helps me just heal constantly and feel part of something. Um, doing something that you're gonna help others is going to make you feel younger, is gonna make you look younger because that's what they tell me, damn, you look young. I'm like, shit, I'm working almost 13 hours a day, 14 hours. I'm helping others. That's all I'm doing. And it's so much joy when you're doing that. And again, not over consuming your life with work and having this time and saying one hour of 
just me time, if that's you playing video games, if that's you cleaning your house, if that's you doing anything, if you're having that conversation with self and if you're doing that, that is it. You're connecting. You're going to evolve eventually. Um, just stick to it. And, and Carlos, you're, you're providing a role model. You know, a lot of these young people have never, ever had, not a good one anyway. You know, yes. that's one of the things that you, we need to have in, in recovery. It's like, oh, if that's recovery, I want some. Or if that's recovery, no, I don't want to be like that asshole. I'd rather just go kill myself. You know? Exactly. And it's how do we, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's like what you put in your resume, right? And what do you put in your resume? It's, I'm not saying that you need to use drugs or you need to do this, this, and that. It's being okay with what's in your resume and okay applying to that job. Like being okay with that. And it's that certainty that's going to make you evolve. And there's three things that I want to just three pillars that I live my life around is motivation, right? A lot of people say motivation sucks, bullshit. No, I, I, I proved it on myself, motivation, um, discipline, and meditation. And meditation could be used in mindfulness, right? We could, we could use it in mindfulness. But see, motivation is going to take you, it's going to make you wake up in the morning, right? Um, meditation, right, is going to help you stay congruent, but discipline is going to keep you there. It's going to keep you staying, doing that every day. And discipline is the most important. How are, not waking up in the morning, um, eating boiled chicken. No. <laughs> How are we being disciplined? You mean How are we that boiled chicken this morning? <laughs> no, no, man. How are we being disciplined to assist to a pattern of wellness? That's it. And, and the understanding that discipline, paradoxically, is how we get free and stay free. Yeah. You know, you think not having discipline, do whatever you feel like in the moment of that freedom, that's total slavery. But that discipline, once you have that focus, then real freedom can emerge from that. It's amazing. Yes, yes, yes. You, you hit it right in the head. Freedom happens when there's discipline. And I even tell I, my other deans that I coach, they're, you know, Carlos, what happens? It's okay. Dude. Like so many rules, kids need rules because that's when they, they need boundaries. They feel right. safe, you know, not having boundaries. It's equals neglectful. It, it, it equals you don't give a shit. Yes. About me. And they'll test that. Test it. But once they find it's there, oh, I couldn't bullshit him out of this. I couldn't push him. This is a strong man. He's held these boundaries. He cares. Yes. I can relax somewhat. Okay. All right. Okay. It's, it's, yeah. Okay. Little hope. It's going to be better. It's going to be okay. You know, you got to be able to hold that for these young men. You have to. You know, because you were talking. I was thinking, you know, there's this problem of professional burnout, you know, and John, you rightly named it as Carlos would be at the most, at, at, in some ways, the greatest risk because he's working with the five percenters who themselves are at the greatest risk. I was thinking, I was thinking of you, Carlos, I was actually not thinking of you, I was feeling you, man. And I was thinking, I don't know what the opposite of burnout is, but I decide there's a word for Carlos and it's burn in. You got burn in, man. You got some serious fucking burn in. It's beautiful to see, brother. Beautiful to see. The other thing I wanted to say that uh, John and Doug won't know is that Carlos is the most impeccable dresser. When you meet him in a professional context, he's dressed in a suit and a tie, and you're a gorgeous human being inside and outside, Carlos, man. Thank you. Absolutely, my brother. I wanted to be a little bit lax for you guys. I'm like, should I wear a tie or what? I'm going to be 100 with you guys today, man. Yeah, you were and you are always, uh, you you are testimony to all that you're talking about. It really is, you used the word congruence earlier. It's uh, you walk in the walk, brother, and you you have from the moment I met you, 
And it's, I've never been with you where you're not walking it. And if you're not in that, you even confess that. So I just, yes. I love you, Carlos. I love you too. And I love you guys for being in this moment with yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and there is something called compassion fatigue. So if we look it up, that yeah. shit does exist. Um, yeah. So let's be mindful. Let's do our work. You guys do a lot of, um, this is just so remarkable that there is a, 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 a platform where these conversations are, 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 we're having these conversations that people are not having. And um, I changed my life based on conversations of other people and how other people were interacting. So this is something very important. I really, um, I just send you the most, be- uh, pr- the best prana ever. So you guys have the best energy in, 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 in successes. And of course, I'm here as a support um, for whoever wants to talk to me in regards to our youth. I am here. Mm-hmm. Right on, Carlos. Right on. Yeah, fantastic, Carly. You're such a, uh, a wonderful example of big heart, big brain, you know, big mind. Um, big mind. Rosh Gempo Roshi, yes. Yeah, Gempo Roshi. Bless his heart. But anyway, um, yeah, if you ever want to run for president, let me know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll start donating and raising funds. You know? So uh, anyway, thank you, brother. So just just a real honor and yes. admiration and respect for what you're doing and who you are and who you've become, who you've made yourself. You know? In the journey of becoming, that's what we say. Mm. In the journey of becoming. Well, all right, gentlemen. Love you all. Love you out there. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit IntegralRecoveryInstitute.com slash iAwake for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.